Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners from around the world that join us on SoundCloud, that join us at Inside Personal Growth website, um, and have supported these podcasts for right now pushing 10 years, which I had somebody tell me the other day that um, they can't believe that I've been doing this 10 years. Well, I learn as much from you, the listeners, as I do from my authors. And the reality, this is my university on wheels. So I love it. And I love all of you out there who support <laughs> and blog and so on. So joining me is Jim Cathcart. Jim has been a friend from a long time, lived here in San Diego, is now up in the Valley area of uh, Los Angeles. And Jim has written, when I first saw him push out his new book jacket cover, I said, Wow, that's a great book jacket, and I got a I got a vote on it, so I did. And the book is called "The Self Motivation Hand uh, Handbook" by Jim Cathcart. Jim, how are you doing today? I am thrilled to be with you, Greg, and I've been looking forward to this for days. Well, we appreciate it. I hope you've been looking forward to it because we're going to make this uh, one of the best interviews around. Now, I'm going to let my listeners know just a tad bit about you because. You know, a lot of them won't know who you are, um, but Jim is a CSP, a CPAE, and for all of you who don't know what that means, he's part of the National Speakers Bureau or Association, and he's Association, been speaking yeah. forever and ever. He's one of the top <laughs> sales influencers in 2014-15. Um, the magazine based in London, Paris, in 2012, Jim was inducted into the Sales and Marketing Hall of Fame in London, England, and is uh, addition to his existing Speakers Hall of Fame listing. Um, he has a TED video, is the top 1% worldwide with over 710,000 views in just over two years and 168 out of 70,000 videos. Um, Jim is somebody who can certainly speak with us about motivation today. He's worked with some of the best, Brian Tracy, Jack Canfield, Tom Hopkins, Les Brown, Ken Blanchard, and the list goes on and on and on. And uh, way back in the day, he actually, uh, I'm going to get to that question, he actually uh, sold Nightingale Conad's uh, audio programs, and then Nightingale approached him and uh, started selling his audio program. So it's it's great. So Jim, you know, you have a pair of running shoes on the front of this book, and this symbolizes, <laughs> symbolizes your determination that started in 75 to become fit. You said you were 200 mm -hmm. pounds, you wanted to get into good weight. And I have listened to many of your Facebook video posts, and you obviously hmm. have this real passion for fitness. What would you tell our listeners about motivating themselves to become fit, even in light of the fact that they probably say, man, this is hard road. I don't want to do this. <laughs> well, I would say that first off, what I share about fitness applies to business, applies to interpersonal relationships, applies to launching a new career, applies to building your, your practice if you're working as an agent, uh, you know, like in the field of financial services or something like that. These are universal principles. This is not just fitness psychology. The, my, the reason I put running shoes on the cover of the book is it relates to my signature story that kind of organizes all the material in the book. And the signature story boils down to this punchline. Just put on your running shoes. 
You know, I used to be fat, as you mentioned. I, I was 200 pounds on a 5'9 frame. I weigh 150 now and have for the last 40 years. But prior to that, I was fat. I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. I ate mostly unhealthy food. Didn't think much about eating except looking forward to the next. And, uh, you know, drank a lot of soft drinks and, and just generally didn't pay much attention to taking care of my body for the long run. And as a result, I, I was an ordinary looking guy. You know, I didn't look like a huge slob, but I was overweight, clearly, and uh, out of shape. And I got involved in the field of personal development and started setting goals and started working, as you had mentioned, with Earl Nightingale's organization, selling their motivational training materials door to door to businesses back in Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, where I lived growing up. And um, my life started working, except I had this glaring omission. Uh, it was not working physically. Physically, mm-hmm. I was not an impressive specimen. And so I said, you know, mm-hmm. I I can't get myself to go run a mile or two miles. I can't get myself to do an hour in the gym. And so I was sitting there thinking, what can I get myself to do? You know what? Just put on my running shoes. That's what I can get myself to do. And I had friends who said to me, well, that's just silly. Just put on your running shoes like you're going to lose weight from that. No. What I'm going to do is I'm going to remove one step between me and exercising. By putting on my right. running Creating shoes a new- and making it. Go ahead. Creating a new habit. I mean, what we're talking yeah. about here is behavior gets ingrained and the reality from a psychological standpoint is to create a new habit. And if you can just keep doing that enough, that habit becomes truly part of your new DNA, doesn't it? It, it does. And, and the thing you've got to do is absolutely commit to the new habit. In other words, you don't – it's like I used to smoke cigarettes, and I did that for about 13 years, a couple of packs a day. And in 1974, I said, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm, I'm going to become a non-smoker. And I had a friend who said, uh, so you're trying to quit? And I said, no, I quit. He said, yeah, but how do you know it's going to work? I said, because I'll never smoke again. He said, well, you don't get it. You know, there's withdrawal and, and you know, lots of people try to quit and, and they have to take drugs or go to therapy and things to, to quit. I said, no, they don't. They have to do that to psychologically deal with the discomfort and the and the angst. But quitting is just a matter of, of physical behavior. Don't pick up a cigarette. And so I hereby mm-hmm. commit, January 25th, 1974, I hereby commit to never smoke ever again as long as I live, period. It's, it's, you I, know, you, I, you obviously, three you obviously are pain. a spitting image of that. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, you know, you have a quote in the book from Earl Nightingale who said about 95% of people can be compared to ships without rudders and yeah. subject to every shift of the wind and tide and they're helplessly adrift. And you mentioned mm-hmm. that everything starts with by declaring what we want, right? So how do you help your coaching clients, your audiences, your people not only declare but define what they want? Because for the most part, that's the first step in anything. What are my values? The truth? What do I really yeah. love? What do I want? What do you do to help these people shift that? I walk them through a thought process. I tell them, forget for the moment about being held accountable for anything. Forget about 
trying something and failing or uh, possibly just minimally succeeding. Let's just talk about what you want. Let's, let's assume for a minute there aren't any rules. Nobody's watching. You're not going to be scored or judged on this. What do you want? Well, I want to be happy, healthy, and have plenty of money. Yeah, well, so do, so do all humans. You know, I mean, that's just part of our, our physical DNA, to be happy, healthy, and have plenty of money. But be specific. What do you want? Do you want to, you want to go skydiving someday? Do you want to be admired by uh, the people you, you see most often? Do you want to excel at something? Do you want um, to be able to express yourself through some skill or, or craft? You know, what do you want? Oh, no, no, no. Now, just, just write down or just say out loud something you want. And so I just get them to start. It, it's like just put on your running shoes. Okay, we need to travel a mile together, Greg. Um, we're not in the mood for it. We don't have the equipment for it. The weather's not good. Uh, it's going to be a tough mile. It's all uphill and it's over rocks and such. And there are scary animals out there that might eat us. Well, let's just stand in the doorway on the outside of the door. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now then, let's look. Does one path seem safer than the other? Yeah. Well, let's let's run over to that little spot and hide under that tree for the moment. In other words, just begin. Begin anywhere yeah. with the tr- tiniest, most trivial little thing. And the other things tend to come as part of the package. Like if you, you say, I want to do 50 push-ups. Well, get in a front-leaning rest position and do one. Well, I don't know uh, if I can do 50. Just do the down part of the first one. <laughs> you know, just begin, for heaven's sake. Show up. That's so the I game. Think- I think that's a key is just beginning. And, you know, self-motivation handbook, in your estimation, you, you say the root of motivation for people is what is the difference between motivation, and you call it motive action, as yeah. you say, versus ins- versus inspiration? What, what are yeah. the differences between those two? Well, inspiration is a word that's related to breathing. Inspire, to draw in. Breathe in. And inspiration is the sort of thing that happens when you hear someone else tell a story that, that renews your faith in humanity. Or when you go to church and you hear a sermon that touches your soul. Or when you do something good for someone else and it brings, it brings the better parts of you to the front. You know, that's inspiration. You're inspired. But it doesn't mean you'll act. In order to get to the action part, you've got to have first a motive, in other words, something you want. And then second, you've got to bridge the gap between having a motive, just a want, and taking an action, which is the, the motivation is that bridge. And so that motivation, so you call it- there, there are 336 different versions of it in the book, different ways to motivate yourself. Right. Yep, and you we're going to get into that. In the second chapter of the book, you list 68 ways to motivate yourself. Let's Mm -hmm. just take a few of those because we're not going to be able to cover all 68 in the time we have. But one of those is you state to get an accountability partner. What benefits is to you is that one? And then the second one is you say to chart your progress on a wall chart. Um, and what is the benefit of having something visual in your estimation? So an accountability well, partner, 
and a wall chart. Those two All right. Well, let's let's start with the accountability partner. You and I have known each other for a long time, and we, we have mutual admiration and trust. So it would be easy for us to become each other's accountability partners. In other words, you could say, Jim, you know, something I'm dealing with is I just, I'm not making enough new sales contacts, and I really need to do that. And uh, I'd like your help. And I say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll call you or you call me, whichever. We'll, we'll talk on the phone every Wednesday at 9.30 a.m. And we'll talk about the contacts that you've made and the ones that you intend to make and what we can do to get you to do more of what you, what you would like to achieve. So as your accountability partner, I'm kind of, stepping up and saying, okay, I'll be your unpaid coach. You know, I'll, I'll be the guy that is there for you as a friend to nudge you and get you over this hump. And then maybe there's something that I need some help with, or maybe I just need a sympathetic ear as I'm going through a process. I need someone I can tell the truth to and get feedback from that's not filtered to make me feel good, but is the cold, hard truth that I need to know if I'm going to do anything. Now, if you were going to put a wall chart up, what would you tell my listeners should go on that wall chart in the way? I mean, obviously, we're going to say goals, but but what well, is specific? Yeah, at, at the top of the wall chart, and and it could be any kind of a you know a flip chart. It could be a, a you could have a cork board on the wall and put some things up there with post-it notes or or little um, uh, file cards, you know, that you stick up with a map pen, but. I did this early in my own career. I, I had a, a big court board, and I put the items that I was working toward, the goals, I put them on cards and pinned them to the wall so that they were there all day, every day. And as I would think of things I could do to achieve that, I would pin those up there, too. Well, since then, I've switched to use of a flip chart or other things. and But still, I put the ideas there. And some people say, well, you know, my office is really pretty and nice. And if I put something up like that, it's going to be kind of an eyesore. And I don't want other people to see it. I'd say, hey, you need to make a choice. You're either designing a show place that's all about looking good or a functional place that's about getting the job done. Now, I don't Mm -hmm. recommend that you become a slob, but I do recommend that you put the tools necessary in the places needed so that you cannot ignore your decision to go after that goal. And some people Definitely. use an app, you know, Tony Alessandro, a friend of ours, he uses an app to keep track of his progress toward his goals. And years ago when he and I were partners, he had little cards that he very neatly lettered. And, you know, when he had achieved something, he'd draw a line through it. And man, I mean, it looked like it had been done by a graphic artist. It was so tidy. And I've seen people that have very sloppy versions of the same thing. Uh, but I say if you're if it's not organized enough that it's easy for you to read, chances are good you're not organized enough to take action to make it a reality. So whether it's a use of an app or a wall chart or whatever, get something that's visual that you know you're going to see and use. Now, I like the wall chart better than an app. Because the wall chart is in my face without me having to open the app. I, I agree know, with you. And I have, a, I have a big whiteboard that's actually a piece of glass. It's a smoked glass. And I mm-hmm. write on it every day. 
and it sits and stares at me. I'm looking at it right now as we're speaking. So Very now good. and you, date you it, have, date it. Always date the yeah. the day you write the goal down, so that you're reminded of the gap between that date and this date. You know, so it kind of stimulates you to take action. Now you have a great story in the book. Uh, a, uh, about you and Tony, you were just mentioning him, and the audio uh-huh. program that Nightingale Conad sold of yours, yeah. over three and a half million dollars <laughs> of. You state that you were selling programs for Earl in 1974, and in 1984, yeah. ten years later, when he contacted you, he started selling your program. What do you yeah. attribute that success to? In the way of either visualization or self motivation, or what? do you think happened to manifest that particular transaction? Well, the the story starts in 1972 when I was a government clerk with no idea what I wanted to do for a living. And I heard Earl Nightingale on the radio, a little short motivational program, and I was inspired by it. And I thought, wow, you know, he said on his radio show, If I spend an extra hour every day studying my chosen field in five years, I could be a national expert in that field. Extra hour a day, five days a week, 50 weeks a year, that's 1,250 hours over five years. What do I want to do? I don't know. The more I thought about it, the more I realized I want to do what he's doing. I want to be a, a motivational speaker. I want to help people grow and succeed. But I had no clue what that meant. So I just took him at his word, an hour a day extra, focused on that chosen field. And I was working in an urban renewal agency as a clerk for 500 bucks a month, and that wasn't leading me anywhere I wanted to go. So I just started reading all the the best-known books on motivation. I started listening to recordings and and getting around people that seemed to be goal-setters and achievement-oriented people. And as I did, it led me to the point where I met a man that sold Earl Nightingale's training materials. And he said, Jim, you ought to buy these. And I did. And I became fanatically dedicated to listening to those for a long time. And he said, you're such a good student of this craft. You should be selling these. And I said, I'm not good at sales. He said, yes, you are. Come on. And and he coached me. His name was Harold Gash. And so I started selling Earl Nightingale's programs door to door to businesses in Little Rock, Arkansas. And then I got involved ultimately in the field of professional speaking and training, you know, entry level, just doing whatever I could for small fees and for any, any audience that would listen. And as my career developed, I met Dr. Tony Alessandra in San Diego at a convention one time. We were both speaking and we hit it off instant friendship and we started collaborating and trading leads back and forth. And, um, that led us to form Cathcart Alessandra and Associates a Corporation and to start creating training materials of our own. And so I moved to California, got an office in La Jolla near the beach, and Tony moved in with me. And we started growing Cathcart Alessandra and Associates, and it really took off. And in 1984, this is 10 years after I had been selling Nightingale tapes back in Arkansas, 1984, I was sitting in the office. And the phone rang, and it was Earl Nightingale, completely out of the blue. He had read an article in the Nonprofit World Report, 
that we had sent, you know, we just submitted our articles to a whole bunch of different magazines hoping to get published, thinking surely some somewhere we'll find a customer from all that. And um, we kept sending these articles out, and that one hit and got published. And for some reason, Earl Nightingale was reading that publication, and he said, wow, that would make a good recorded program. So he called, and he said, may I speak to Jim Cathcart? And I almost fainted when I heard his voice. And uh, he said, I just read your article. I think it would make a good audio program. I said, well, thank you, Mm -hmm. sir. It is an audio program. He said, well, I publish programs like that. I said, oh, believe me, I know. And he said, well, send me yours. So I did. And he said, if you'll re-record it to our specifications, we'll publish it. And they did. And as you mentioned, sold three and a half million dollars worth of that new album, Relationship Strategies. In the first yeah, two years it was up. Wow. The rest is history, isn't it? It's uh, it's yeah. really a great story. Now, <clears throat> you you have the traits of self-made millionaires listed in the book, and you've collected them by interviews you've had with hundreds of yep. successful athletes, entertainers, and the like. <clears throat> For my listeners, what are some of those traits, and how would you recommend that our listeners cultivate these same traits that you found through your interviews? One of the traits, Greg, is an absolute commitment to succeed. In other words, each one of the people that I interviewed, and I'm sure you found this to be true as well, because you've had so many interviews, more than I, um, each of the high achievers, regardless of their field, whether they were an astronaut or an athlete or a business success or you know some thought leader, every one of them, decided in advance, I will succeed. Not, I'm going to try to succeed, like I might try to quit smoking or lose weight. Not going to try. I'm going to succeed. What does that mean? What if you don't know how? Well, it doesn't matter. You decide in advance, then you find out how. Like another friend of mine said, well, I I don't want to set a goal, and then, you know, what if I don't achieve it? Well, excuse me. The goals are not not things where you already know how to achieve it. You know, if you already know how to do something, it's not a goal. It's a to-do. A goal is something that you desire that you probably, for the most part, have no idea how to get there. But you're willing to take the journey and pay the price necessary to learn and grow and change yourself even from time to time in order to adapt and, and ultimately achieve that, that desired goal. So that, that was number one. They, without exception, they decided in advance, I will succeed. And then they went about figuring out how. Number two, That's a, they mm-hmm. were willing to change themselves if necessary. In other words, change their their mindset, their worldview, change where they lived, what they did for a living, change the habits that they had, change their skills, uh, be a an apprentice or a, a protege for a while, learning from someone else and doing all the the entry level work if necessary. You know, stapling things together and handing out forms and cleaning up uh, supply rooms and stacking chairs and making signs and <laughs> running errands. It, it, you know, all, all the achievers I know willingly did those kind of things early on in order to mm-hmm. earn their stripes and learn what they needed. You know, 
you you've got so much great content here in this book. I mean, it's it's awesome. So for my listeners, I'm going to encourage them. You know, go to Amazon, download a copy, buy the copy. It comes out on August 24th. But you have 268 one-minute lessons in self-motivation. And I think yeah. that this section is really great. And I want to cover just three of them in the in the time remaining here. Okay. And, and that is that um, one of them is how do you sell a product or idea? That's the first one. Because mm-hmm. you're the great sales uh, motivational speaker. Two, the premise shapes our conclusion. And three, things that last and things that won't. So out of that <laughs> 268 one-minute lessons, we're going to talk about three. So let's start with the first one. And by the way, Jim has attached to these uh, Thrive course or Thrive videos and you can get these through just going to your website, or how would you recommend people? Yeah, well, get in the book, the, the, the link is done. actually there in the back of the book. There's there's a link, uh, you know, a whole three or four pages of links to short video lessons that relate to the the uh, various things in the book, and it's thrive15.com, the, the numeral one. And, and how five, many how many videos are posted? How many videos are posted, Jim? I think it's just an amazing number, isn't it? Uh, it's 110 of mine out of well over a thousand total. And this is okay. a thing like Lynda.com or like Khan Academy or like a lot of those where right. you can just go there and, and do a, a, it's a quick little inexpensive one month subscription and watch all thousand videos if you want. Or you could have an right. ongoing subscription, or you could just go there for free and get 30 days free free ride using the code Acorn, which is in you know that's my code. Um, well, that's, so the, that's, a, that's this a comes cool with resource. the book. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's a great resource. You know, I think that people need to know that you know, look, you've got uh, you've got this link to Thrive15.com, and uh, this is in the book. So when you buy the book, you're going to see the link there. You're going to see, obviously be able to do it. And I'd highly recommend that everybody go look at some of those videos. So let's talk about this first one, selling a product or idea. Everybody, you know, um, I think when I told you I was writing a book right now and Mm -hmm. the book is called hack, hacking the gap, uh, a journey from, uh, inspiration to innovation and beyond. And Good. I should say a journey from a journey from uh, intuition to innovation and beyond. And this is really about where people get ideas is intuitively have these ideas about they want to develop a product or an idea. They want to sell something. What would you tell them uh, to actually get that implemented? The number one is selling is helping. And the selling selling's not vending. That's what machines do. You know, selling is helping. And, and if, if you have something to sell to me or vice versa, the thing we need to focus on is how can we help? And then what's that worth? And if that's worth what I'm asking for my product or service, then I help you go through that thought process and make that commitment to buy. So selling is not something, you know, like where you memorize a, a script and just go say it and sooner or later somebody buys. It may be useful to memorize a, a specific way of saying what you've got to say, but it's not about having some message that played over and over again through your voice box will generate sales. 
It's about genuinely wanting to help the other person make a good decision for themselves so that you can profit from being the one who helped them. Beautiful. Now, you say your premise shapes our conclusion. Okay. Yeah. So if that's our premise or that's shaping our reality well, or however uh, you want to put this, let's what say, would you let's say? Let's say you're sitting around the dinner table and, and your family is talking about something in the news. Okay. Um, let's say that there's a proposal in the city council to ban dogs from your community and your family mm-hmm. is talking about this proposal around the dinner table. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you start talking about it and someone says, well, you know, there was a pit bull that, that bit a guy's arm off and there was a pack of wild dogs that did it. And so-and-so says dogs are always getting into his trash and, you know, spreading it all over the yard. And, uh, and then the other person on the other side of the table says, yeah, but there's this cute little puppy. And then they start talking about loving dogs. And then someone else comes up with the man's best friend argument. He says, hold it, stop. What's the underlying premise from which we're operating here? What are we really talking about? The underlying premise, well, one aspect of it would be dogs. Are they good or bad? If you think dogs are dangerous and dogs are bad and dogs are a threat, then clearly you're going to come to the conclusion we should eliminate dogs from our community. Mm-hmm. If you think dogs are wonderful and they're man's best friend, you're going to say this is absurd and we should not be doing this, right? Dogs are good. Right. But let's, let's, right. let's, let's helicopter up a little bit further. The bigger question is should the government be involved in setting rules that determine whether a person should own a dog or not? So that the premise determines the nature of the conversation. And if what you're talking about is do we pass this law, it starts with does it even make sense to come up with a law? Is there a better mm-hmm. way to solve this? Other than and potentially having some somebody in your in your space, like the government, is what you're saying. You know, how could yeah. we rectify that? When you say government, you're talking about a local agency there that any, potentially any maybe was yeah. banning it. But, yeah. but put it in a different context. Put it into the context of selling. See, mm-hmm. if you go into a sales relationship with the assumption that your eloquent words are going to persuade them to buy, then all the pressure is on you to be this brilliant orator and this wonderful psychological manipulator that's going to force them to buy, possibly against their will. Well, that's ridiculous. If you go Never into a sales, no, nah, you go into a sales relationship saying, "I'm able to help. I must do it at a profit, or I can't do it for long. But I'm able to help people. Let me see if Greg is someone I could help." Then it makes you curious about Greg's needs, his wants, his situation. Uh, you look for ways to bridge that gap, as you were talking about, you know, so that you're able to show him how you can be helpful. And he ends up as your new customer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so it all the way starts that with it... your underlying premise. What's my premise? So let's do the last one, Jim. Things that last and things that won't. <laughs> that comes from when my son was young and I, I, he wanted his own allowance and I told him, okay, but you got to keep a record of where your money goes. He said, okay. And I said, you don't keep a record. You don't get the next check or the next money. And he said, that's fine. 
So we got him a little notebook. And at first, all I had him do was record every single thing that he did with money. You know, if he bought a ticket, if he bought a candy bar, if he bought whatever, whatever he did with money, he just had to write it down and keep a record of it. That's it. And then the second phase was I had him categorize what he had recorded into things that last and things that don't last, like a movie. Well, the only thing that lasts about going to a movie is the memory of the movie. A T-shirt. Well, a T-shirt is a physical thing, and it'll last a, a substantial period of time. Okay, so T-shirt goes in the things that last column, movies and and football games and other things like that go in the other column. What about food? That's a tangible physical product. No, nope, but it doesn't last. It's like the guy that said, uh, I don't believe in motivation. It's no good. It doesn't last. But you believe in eating? Well, of course. Yeah, but it doesn't last. Do you believe in exercise? Yeah, but it doesn't last. <laughs> Do you, you know, you can go on all day long. Do you believe in breathing? Yeah, but it doesn't last. You have to keep repeating it. So the fact that something doesn't last doesn't make it meaningless. It just means you need to be aware what does and what doesn't. So that is a lesson from Jim and his son <laughs> that he's added in here along, along with 268 other uh, motivational tips that are in the book. So for my listeners, as we mentioned earlier, you can get Jim's book up at amazon.com. It releases on uh, August 24th, um, which is just right around the corner. It's currently, you can order it now, pre-order the book. Um, it's a motivational, the publisher is Motivational Press. And mm-hmm. um, if you want to reach Jim, you can reach Jim at Cathcart, very simply, C-A-T-H-C-A-R-T, Dot com. Uh, that's the Cathcart Institute. There you can find more about his services. He's got videos, uh, media, his blog. Um, and if you want to connect with him on Facebook, we're going to put the link there as well because Jim does these great little mini motivational uh, runs that he posts up at Facebook. Um, I've been watching those and they're actually quite cute. And I think he's getting a lot of people looking at him. Jim, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth today, speaking with my listeners uh, about your new book called The Self-Motivation Handbook. Um, Thanks for taking the time. You're welcome. And thank you, Greg. It's great to be with you again. 